Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Well, how about that? A brand new opening. I just found out seconds ago that we had a brand new opening to the show. Casey, nicely done. Did you put that together? I did. Very well done. And not only that, new graphics. Really? Yeah. Well, we're stepping up in the world here. Stepping up. Good morning, man. Paul, welcome back. Tom, how are you today? I'm good. How was your trip? Fantastic. Great weather all week. We lucked out. Thought there might be some rain. We lucked out with good weather. It was a fun time. Very nice. Very nice. Welcome back. Good to have you back in the saddle today. Thank you. Uh, Gentlemen, how's everything? It's great. It's great, Tom. How was Milwaukee, Wisconsin? <laughs> it was phenomenal. I the weather there was was awesome. I guess it's because of the the lake. It's you know that keeps, yeah, the, it keeps nice everything place. cool. Yeah. But it's like it was like seventy degrees with some little bit of wind. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. Nice. And sellout crowds there. Sellout right? crowds almost. I think it was like two thousand away each night okay. from Friday and Saturday. I didn't go to Sundays or yesterday's game, but Friday and Saturday. Great atmospheres. Great atmospheres. And that's in it's a great areas. place. Yeah. And Jake, you all right, buddy? Yeah, I'm doing great. Nothing as fun as these two, but I had a good weekend as well. All right. All right. We welcome you as always. Good morning, everybody, to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. I'm Tom Brenneman. We come your way Monday through Friday, 10 a. to 12. P. That's Eastern Time. You can join us on YouTube slash Chatterbox Sports. Hundreds of you in the house already today. If you'd rather join us in podcast form, please just search off the bench with Tom Brenneman and you're dialed in. Let's get right at it. Lots going on in Cincinnati sports. And of course, we begin with the Red Legs. It was a highly competitive weekend, exciting weekend in Milwaukee. Friday night, a blowout. Yeah, got a little interesting there in the ninth inning. But let's be honest about it. The Brewers jumped all over Andrew Abbott and held on to win 7-3. Then Saturday, we saw yet another glimpse of things to come. From rookie Ellie De La Cruz. If you missed it, then you missed it. Here it is, right? De La Cruz gets a base hit. He knocks in a run. And then he steals second base. I mean, why even bother to throw? Right? Okay. One pitch later. Off he goes to third. Not even a throw. Easily steals third. Then the Brewers fall asleep at the wheel. And give De La Cruz credit. Look at it. He's locked in and takes off for home, steals home. It was unbelievable. It was unbelievable watching Ellie De La Cruz. That was clearly the highlight of the weekend. And that was an 8-5 win on Saturday. So then we get to Sunday, and you're in the decisive game of the three-game series, final game leading up to the All-Star break. Ben Lively returns from the injured list. And man, was he good. Almost six innings, allowed one run. He was really good. The problem was, former red left-hander Wade Miley was a little bit better. He goes six without allowing a single run. One-nothing Milwaukee wins it. So, you go back to the Atlanta weekend. And then you go to this weekend. It's now the second weekend series where the Reds took on one of the quote-unquote big boys, if you want to call the Brewers the big boys. And they get beat two out of three. That's the bottom line. At the mythical first half close, the Reds sit atop the National League Central, one game better than Milwaukee. And of course, those same two teams will collide this weekend, beginning Friday night, at Great American Ballpark. All right, a couple of notes, a couple of thoughts from the weekend, both good and bad. The good, Joey Votto. This guy showed up in a big way. He had four hits, two doubles, two home runs, Knocked in four, 
He looked like a player who's been there before in a big series. The same cannot be said for a host of these young players who have not been there before. Spencer Steer, as great as he's been this year, did not have a single hit over the weekend. Tyler Stevenson did not have a hit over the weekend. Jonathan India, two for 11. TJ Friedel, two for 11. You get the idea. And look, for all of these guys, it's the first big series of their major league careers by and large. So you hope they're better the next time starting like this Friday night. The bottom line is, if someone told any of us in January, in February, in March, even in April after a 7-15 and start to the year, that the Reds would be in first place at the All-Star break, every single one of us raise your hand and say, sign me up for that. More on the first half of the season and looking ahead to the second half coming up here shortly. Major League Baseball's All-Star game tomorrow night in Seattle. As you know, Alexis Diaz is the lone red on the National League team. The home run derby is tonight. Can Pete Alonzo of the Mets do it again? It starts at 8. You guys big home run derby guys? You dialed into that? Uh, I do enjoy it. I know some people kind of get bored by it, but I do enjoy it. I'll, I'll be watching probably the whole thing. Does Pete Alonzo win yet again? No. Why don't we go with... Uh... Why don't we go with the hometown kid, Julio? Okay. Why not? He was right there last year. He was. He was right there Why last not? year. Boy, you guys dialed into that tonight, Elliot. Oh, of yeah, course I love you it. Are. I've got like seven bets already on it, so I'm ready to roll. I <laughs> seven bets? Seven bets, Tom. We're going round by round. Then we're going to pick outright winners. We're going to see how many total home runs are going to be hit. It's an electric factory, this is. I, I, I think Adolis Garcia is my sleeper. He's the outfield or the – he plays outfield for the Rangers, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if he was DH. Um but yeah, I got Adolis Garcia tonight. It's gonna be it's gonna be awesome. They juice up those balls. They go 500 feet. So I, I'm ready to go. I love the home run derby too. And Elliot just said it there. They juice up the balls. Those balls love to fly. And Betfred Sports has the over under at 499 and a half for the longest home run. And I'm gonna take the over. I, I will say the broadcast. 499 is, is a <laughs> long way, brother. It is. It is. But these balls, Tom, it's like hitting like a tennis ball. They're just juiced up to the to, to everything. I, the broadcast has lost something with Chris Berman not being there. Massively. I agree. The yeah. back, 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 yeah. back, back. Yeah. And he just keeps saying it over and over again. I love Chris Berman. I, I think that was funny. I and do then too. You, and then you learn that town's geography because he starts mixing in random little cities yeah. around the state. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great nicknames. Oh, yeah. I, I, I don't think that that uh, NFL Sunday night show has ever been the same. No, I don't think it has either. I, and I think if Him you, and Tom Jackson were, were dialed in. Yeah, they were. It, it helped make the MLB All-Star game a staple and, uh, or the Home Run Derby a staple. I still think, and we had this debate maybe a week ago, two weeks ago, but I think the MLB All-Star game with the Home Run Derby and everything, it's by far the best professional sports All-Star break there is. I think it's better than NBA. I think yeah. it surpassed that. It 100%. surpassed NHL. Soccer, God love them. I don't know what they do over there, but I'm well, sure. Oh, they have like nine different things. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I think MLB All-Star Game, they bring it every year. Yeah, the NHL one, low-key, the skills competition and stuff that they do is kind of fun, but it just doesn't. It just doesn't have the pop in, in, the, in this country that the other sports do. Nobody cares about the NFL's all-star festivities. Horrible. The pro, I mean, that's just horrific. So bad that they basically had to cancel it. And then the NBA draft is, you know, to steal a term, completely lost its luster. Yep. So. I was on the field, uh, the one that, that we had here, and I was doing the PA for that when Todd Frazier won that. 
Because Major League Baseball, they like to get local guys. You've got the national telecast where those guys do it for ESPN or whatever it is. Uh, but they have an in-house PA announcer to do it. And so they'll get the local guy from a local team. And, you know, my dad wouldn't have any part of that. I'm sure he was at the top of their list. So they <laughs> took the lackey after that. And uh, it, it was unbelievable to be down there. It was just unbelievable. And, and then I hosted one on the field at Wrigley Field back in 1990 with Bill Murray. That was before the home run derby w- was a big deal. They did it during the day. That gives you an idea. They weren't doing it at, at, at like some prime time event like they, uh, they do it now. But it should be fun tonight. Um, the amateur draft in Major League Baseball kicked off last night. First two rounds. And the Reds loaded up with college pitchers with their first two picks. Number seven overall, they take Wake Forest hurler Rhett Louder. Most feel he's the most polished, major league-ready pitcher in this draft. He pitched his team to the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament this year. With number 38 overall, that's a compensation pick. It was LSU right-hander Ty Floyd. He made a name and lots of money for himself striking out 17 Florida Gators in game one of the College World Series. And in the second round, rare albeit to see a high school player taken by the Reds. Remember, going into this draft, 18 of their last 22 picks had been college players. But they take a shortstop out of New York, young man named Sammy Strafura. I hope I pronounced that right. Round three through 10 will continue today and tonight. Well, after not losing for nearly two months, a little longer, in fact, than two months, FC Cincinnati, Casey, all of a sudden can't buy a win. What the hell is going on over there? I mean, they're struggling. They're struggling without Vasquez. That's what it boils down to. Their offense is just not as good. Um, They start getting back some of their defensive pieces, but um, I would say the last two games, they've started out really slow, like just really bad. I believe the week before that, uh, they gave up two goals within the first 20 minutes. This week, it was the first 30 minutes. They gave up two goals. And it just th- – this cannot continue uh, at the rate that it's going or else they're going to be sitting at home <laughs> in the playoffs. It, it just boils down to that. Um, now, I think that they'll – when they get their full lineup back, that they'll be okay. But as of right now um, – it seems like they think that they can get away with it, um, being kind of laxed uh, without some of their starting guys because before they were doing just fine, Tom, yep. like you said, right. two months without They were doing is... better than just fine. They were, the, the, they were right. tearing everybody up. Right. And now, now it seems like they just aren't taking the games as serious. They're not coming out with passion. They're not coming out with fire. And I'm not sure if maybe – that Vasquez is like a leader of the team, gets the team fired up, or what that might look like when he's back in the lineup if they start really playing like they should be. Um, but, yeah, that's what it really boils down to, Tom. It's just okay. they, they, they're struggling a little bit. I mean, they're also still the only team in the league with more than 40 points. So that's they're right. okay. Yeah, they're, 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 they're They have fine. a seven-point lead on the entire league. That's so right. they're okay. That's right. They're okay. But in their last three games, right, they're 0-1-2. After a 2-2 draw, don't call it a tie, 2-2 draw against Charlotte over the weekend. Yesterday, though, was a very big day for the U.S. men's national team. And they played right here in Cincinnati, part of a doubleheader at TQL Stadium in the Gold Cup, they call it, quarterfinal. Yet another cup. There's a Lamar Hunt Open Cup. There's the Gold Cup. 
There's the MLS season. There's can I get a cup of beer? There's all of that going on. They beat Canada in penalty kicks yesterday. FC Cincinnati's Brandon Vasquez scored for Team USA and scored, scored their first goal. So next up, the final four. That's out in San Diego where the men's team will face Panama. Tom, before yes. you move on, yes. did you see any of how the match ended last night? No, I did not. Because there is one thing I knew you would get a kick of as I was sitting there watching it. Do you know how penalty kicks work in soccer, Tom? Uh, yes. How the, the, other, the other players that aren't taking the penalty stand back toward midfield? Yes. Did you see anything about how this went down? I did not Canada see. and the U.S. were lined up next to each other, but they were about 15 feet in front of the midfield line. And they were both lined up together. So one referee came up and said, you need to back up the midfield. And then the other referee went up to the U.S. One spoke said, in English, the other spoke in Canadian. Yeah, and they, okay. exactly. And they, they said, you have to back up. And the Canadian said, we're not, we're not moving back. And the U.S. said, we're not moving back either. So there was probably three minutes where the match just stalled because nobody wanted to move back. It was like a, a baseball standoff for the national anthem when you have the one player on the foul line that right. doesn't want to leave, whatever. So the Canada, you can read their lips and you can say, you can see them looking over to the U.S. and saying, we'll move if they move. And the U.S. is saying, we'll move if they move. And then Canada retreated first and the U.S. won. Naturally. Said, Naturally. <laughs> I said, I mean, Tom Brenneman would get a me? kick out of this. Naturally, the Canadians <laughs> would stand down. No question about that. Um, all right. This is a serious story in college football. I don't know if you saw this. Uh, this is a huge story, and where this is going, I don't think anybody knows. It's at Northwestern University, right, in Chicago. Now, there was a whistleblower who plays on the football team who goes to the administration about widespread ha hazing or claims of widespread hazing inside the Northwestern University football team. Some of it very, very serious in nature this wasn't just kind of fraternity hazing stuff right or maybe kind of like fraternity hazing stuff that whistleblower launches an investigation by the university which the results of that come out just before last weekend which ultimately led the president of northwestern who just got the job in june to suspend pat fitzgerald the head football coach for the next two weeks now, this is the classic he said, she said scenario. So, you got the whistleblower, okay? A teammate of the whistleblower comes out yesterday and says that the whistleblower told him that he was going to fabricate some of the hazing charges and stories with the sole intent of getting Pat Fitzgerald fired. Now, the entire team collectively signed a document that was released to the media, something like 70 or 80 players, saying these charges are just not true. Where this is headed is anybody's guess. This is a huge story in college football. Northwestern just got finished building, or they're finishing building, this hundred and something million dollar glass enclosed football practice facility they went one and 11 they've gone one and eight in big 10 play in three of the last four years Fitzgerald is an alum everybody loves Fitzgerald there he's like the Pied Piper around there um, if it's true he should be gone no question about it 
Uh, but it's funny, we were talking in here before the show. You know, when it comes to whistleblowers, I think we all can agree. Whistleblowers are a great thing in anything, whether it's something going on wrong in a business, in an athletic administration, whether it's in uh, a, the political environment, whatever it might be. But frequently, all of us are guilty of being all on board when the whistleblower meets our narrative, but we're totally against a whistleblower when it doesn't meet our narrative. So you got a lot of that going on here at Northwestern because Fitzgerald has many, many, many proponents up there in Chicago and Northwestern alum. Speaking of college football, today we will visit with Chad Brendel to talk about UC's incoming recruiting class. Big couple of weeks here, last couple of weeks, about guys committing to go here, whether to go there. Uh, we'll have Dave Biddle. He'll do the same for Ohio State. They got that huge sign last week. The guy that many feels the best defensive lineman in the country, Justin Scott. But uh, we're going to have a lot of college football today because, look, we got the baseball all-star break, right? I mean, and so uh, we don't have the Reds to talk about every single night. And, uh, and we're going right down the line. Bama got a big recruit yesterday, saw that beating uh, on a defensive back. Both Ohio State and USC were the final three there. So a lot going on. But let's get to the Red Legs weekend. Paul, did you watch most of it or you were listening on the radio driving to most of it? Yeah, through the week. Uh, so I figured out how to sign into the Bally Sports app, which I got to be honest, Bally catches a lot of flack. It was phenomenal for me all week. Uh, I was able to listen on iHeart for free, just sitting on the beach listening to the games and then watching on Bally. I thought it was great. Um, I, I was able to catch a lot more of the Reds this week than I originally thought I was going to. And I listened to basically the whole game on Saturday driving back from New Jersey and uh I think yesterday was the most frustrating because, you know, it's always you got to score a run to win the game and to just go down one nothing, And especially because of how the Brewers scored that run too, where that run shouldn't have probably scored in the first place. Uh, just just frustrating way to end the series. But overall, I mean, good for the Reds to not get swept, um, to, to come back and have a, a statement win like that on Saturday to even the series. And then Sunday was just kind of a clunker. Kind of a weird game going to the break. It feels like it's a good time for the Reds going in now. It's not like they've won 10 in a row and you're going, man, if only we had a game tomorrow. I was reading a lot about the Orioles last night. You know, they blow out. Uh, who are they playing? Were they playing? Uh, I forget who the Orioles were playing. They won by, I think they were in Chicago. Mm, I don't remember who they were playing, but they won by like 13. And all the, all the Orioles pe people are going on about, oh, if only we could play tomorrow. It didn't really feel like that with the Reds where they're playing really well. Yep. But you lose two out of three to Milwaukee. Hey, why don't we take four or five days off, catch a little bit of a break. Your only all-star is Alexis Diaz, so the rest of the team doesn't have to make a cross-country trip before flying all the way back here to Cincinnati to play the Brewers again on Friday night and what's going to probably be the most crowded weekend series. I feel like we're saying that every single time now, and it's wild looking at the prices and, and the third-party sites for these tickets for Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and you know, I, I don't want to sit all the way up in the 500s and get vertigo. I'd rather be out in standing room. And even to go into standing room, it's, sure. you know, $40, $50 just to get in the stadium on some of these third-party sites. Um, so, it's you know, it's, it's looking forward to another really exciting weekend this weekend. Feels like a good time, though, for the Reds that they sort of hit a wall a little bit this weekend, take a break, rest, recuperate. And you have a one-game lead at the All-Star break. I I was listening to the show for a little bit when I had a, when I had a chance. I think it was on Friday um, when Jacob was talking about how w when Jacob started back in the middle of May, 
I remember we all sat here and said, okay, if we could be, you know, maybe five to six games back at the All-Star break, then you're talking about, you don't want to say success, but at least you feel like, hey, we can still feel like we're talking about a relevant team when we're sitting here for two hours a day on the radio. Well, now you have a one-game lead, and oh, by the way, you only have to play Milwaukee six more times. It feels like Milwaukee is kind of this – you know, kryptonite to the Reds right now where you play them, you don't play all that well because they have such an elite pitching staff and the, their offense is frustratingly bad when you can't outscore them when you're losing one to nothing. Um, but, yeah, it, it feels like the All-Star break's coming at the right time. Casey, did you watch much this weekend? I Yay did. or nay? I did. Do you feel like the weekend was a disappointment losing two out of three? Ooh, disappointment. Um... <clears throat> I thought that they were in it the first two games. I thought they were in it all three games, really. That that was they uh, weren't in it Friday night. The, they, Friday they, night was a tail kicking until the ninth inning. It was right, a tail that, kicking. That's what I'm saying. It's like they had a chance. They had the tying run. They at the they, plate. They had, yeah. In the ninth uh, inning. Yeah. yeah. So they they had a chance, right? That that's that's all I could have really asked for. They went into this winning the one game we needed. To have first place, so yeah. I can't be I can't be too disappointed in it. Um, the thing that was most disappointing for me, which I feel like maybe the chat and I maybe jinxed it a little bit, was Abbott. He had his worst game on Friday. Yeah, and I had questioned why everyone was so down on Abbott with the analytics of it, and he showed why on Friday. It's Feels like he did. I don't know what the numbers suggest. That was the first bad game he's had in the big leagues. It's yeah. going to happen. You know, just it's unfortunate that it, it was a game that's the most magnified of his seven starts in the yeah. big leagues. But I mean, that's going to happen. And the fact the fact that they were there at the end, you know, that just that was the most disappointing game was Friday. But other than that, I thought Saturday was a nice win. Sunday, um, all you need is two runs to win the game. Um, that was a little disappointing too, but there was a lot of excitement there. It was a, uh, it was a, what I would consider a classic baseball game. Yes, you're right. Two hours and what, four minutes, something like that. Yeah, it was very yeah. quick. It just felt like it raced by. I sat down to watch the game and I'm kind of working on some things, kind of getting back into the swing of what I'd missed and catching up on some emails and stuff. And I'm going, wow, it's the fifth inning. It's the sixth inning. It's the seventh inning. Yep. It's the eighth inning. Then all of a sudden it was over and whatever it was, 204. Yeah. So it goes. So it goes. Elliot was up there. Yeah. Elliot brought home one Elliot, you are with well, Are you bummed I, about what happened <laughs> over the weekend? Yay or nay? I am. I'm bummed because it seems like the Brewers have had our number the past several seasons now. Um, but I, well, I, they've I, had a lot of people's number the last – they've true. had a nice run at it here the last four, five, six years. Yes, they have. Sure. Yes, they have. Uh, I, I think you look at the Brewers' lineup, I thought we did. we pitched pretty well against them. Uh, all things considered, I think Owen Miller crushed us. UC Bearcat Joey Weimer crushed us. Uh, Yelich always crushes us. Uh, but other than that, like Friday nights, Friday night sucked. It was a bad game by Abbott, but Abbott deserved a bad game after what he's done for yep. this for this team. I, I think Burns pitched his 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 guts out on Friday night up until I think the end. He kind of tailed off towards the end a little bit. But even like Casey said, they fought they fought in that game to a point where if it was Nick Senzel, other anybody other than Nick Senzel. I love our chances in that final at bat. And I say that with love and respect to Nick Senzel. I just don't trust him with bases loaded game on the line. Um, 
But I think Sa- I wasn't going to go. Saturday. Who do you trust with a game on the line and the bases loaded? Uh, Ellie De La Cruz. Ellie De La Cruz, I trust. I trust Joey Ma- Votto. Matt McClain, Joey Votto. Your boy Jonathan India. Uh, I, I, He's better with the bases. Tom, it was a bad. It was a bad. It was a bad weekend for Jonathan India. Yes, it was. I am the biggest Jonathan India fan in the world. Those at bats weren't competitive. He had a couple hits, but man, it was it was tough. I, I the, right before Ellie stole home and Ellie had the game winning hit. On, on Saturday, he he went up with like a, a, a half a half can I say ass half ass bunt attempt, um, and then he and then he just hit into a double play immediately right after that. I, I thought Jonathan India looked tough this weekend. I don't know what what the plan is with him. I know a lot of people are saying trade him, aka Jacob, um, but I it, it was just tough look. He can't bat third anymore. He just can't bat third. You're not going to see competitive at bats. He was he was hitting great at the leadoff spot. They moved him. He's been terrible at three. Absolutely terrible. The splits aren't even close. He's sub 200 uh, out of the three hole. So, what well, some- makes you wonder then why are they continuing to run him out there in the three? You know, I, I hear people make the argument, and I've heard this about leadoff hitters and all this kind of stuff. All of us have, right? Forever about, well, you're only batting leadoff once. Yeah. You're only batting third once. That has nothing to do with it in the grand scheme. Well, l- let me correct that. It used to be that on every team in Major League Baseball, your best hitter was the three-hole hitter. Yep. Okay? And in a lot of cases, that still holds true. But Tony La Russa was the first guy that started to say, you know what? I'm going to put my best hitter in the two-hole. We're not asking a guy to bunt. We're asking him to put the bat on the ball and start driving in runs and making stuff happen. And the most important part of the whole thing is you potentially get that one extra at bat with the guy in the two or the three hole or leadoff spot that you won't get from the guy batting in the six, seven, eight spot, right? So a lot of games, you look at the box score. The one, two, three, four hitters might get four or five ABs. The seven, eight, nine hitters will get three or four ABs, right? So that's why you have a guy. Now, some are saying Spencer Steer. Jacob, you just said it in the chat. You know, I don't know how much to read into this, but but here's what I do know. When Spencer Steer, who's never been an outfielder until this year, yep. when they put him in left field, look, and, I, and I'm not saying there's anything to it, but if you're going to buy into numbers, and a lot of people buy into numbers, right? Okay. His numbers hitting as a left fielder are brutal. Very bad. Brutal. And you heard, I, I thought that was the most interesting part of our conversation with Bill Schroeder on Friday. Now, we asked him, not specifically about Tyler Stevenson, but about catcher X, who's been a catcher his whole life, and now all of a sudden you're only catching him two or three days a week. Uh, he'll play a little first base, he'll DH, uh, and his offensive numbers have gone down. Does he think that that would have an effect on a player, player X? He said, absolutely. And he started going into some examples. And the one that struck me the most was the example he he gave for Ryan Braun. Okay, Braun Braun comes up, you may remember, had played a lot of infield. You know, they get him to the outfield, and then they just leave him alone, right? Becomes an MVP, all this kind of thing. And he's talking about how, you know, he's not thinking about his defense out there in left field because he's comfortable with being a left fielder. And a lot of times you'd see him working on his swing out there in between outs or in between pitches. Whereas a guy like Steer, in this case, that 
He's thinking about, yeah. my God, what's going to happen if the ball's hit to me and where am I going to throw the ball to, right? Yep. Absolutely. So it makes you wonder, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, I mean, I don't we – asked, we're asking the world of Spencer Steer, moving him from third base to first base to left field. I mean, no one in, the, in their right mind thinks he's a left fielder. I mean, you hope maybe he can figure it out and he can play there and help the team, but right now we're just kind of piecing the lineup together because we need his bat in the lineup. For his sure. His bat is, is one of the best on our team right now. I mean, I know he didn't have a great weekend, but you have to find a way to get him in your starting nine, and, and right now that's in left field. With Joey Votto playing as well as he is, you don't really have room for him at first base. I mean, CES is still knocking on the door. You know he's going to play the corners of the infield. I, I feel like you're going to have to ask here to just keep figuring it out and left, which is, you know, you hate to put that pressure on a young player, but I feel like that's where we're at right now. Now, Nick Kirby points out that Steers' numbers, he's a 294 as a left fielder. I would venture to say, because I've actually looked into this a little bit, and Nick's technically correct. He has a good on-base percentage, all that kind of thing. But you could really bunch that up into about four or five games where he's had big games as a left fielder. The rest of the time as a left fielder. Now, and again, we're talking about a very small sample size here in the grand scheme of things because he hadn't played a ton of left field. But look, going forward, now is the question, fellas. Uh, Encarnacion Strand, I mean, his numbers at AAA just continue to just soar off the charts. Yep. Right? How much longer... Are you going to keep him in the minor leagues and continue to carry three catchers? I, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be one of the more interesting storylines coming out of this All-Star break because I don't know. And Tom pointed it out before the show, Steve, Tyler Stevenson's been one of the worst defensive catchers in baseball this season. It's ugly. It's ugly when he's behind the plate. Pitchers don't want to throw to him. It's, it's just not, it's not working. You need his bat, but even his bat, is, he's going to hit singles. No, and that's no disrespect. There's, no, there's nothing wrong with a slap hitter. But at some point, you're going to have to hit more than he does to warrant the bad defense, and it's not. So now you're forcing Strand to stay down there because we have three catchers. I, I think you cut Casali after this all-star break, and you have to bring up, you have to bring up Strand. You ha if you're trying to win games, you can't have three catchers. You can't. It just it doesn't work. Tyler Stevenson's saving grace his whole career was, well, you put up with the glove because he's going to be a great bat in your lineup. You have to keep Tyler Stevenson around because he's a great bat in your lineup. 250 is not a great bat. No. I don't care that he's a catcher and that's not a great offense position. 250 with a 340 OBP is not a great bat, especially when he has little to no power. I, I just don't see necessarily what Tyler Stevenson provides to this team if he's not catching because he's not good enough to be our DH. I, I, I don't, and the issue, too, is I don't know if they were kind of, and this is going to sound bad, it, obviously they weren't, but if you were hoping Votto would be regress or not offer anything – the decision to bring him up and have him play first, Strand being that, I, I think that's an easier decision. Votto's now playing unbelievable baseball. It complicates the infield even more because now we're playing India at second. India's not a great fielder. Votto's hitting out of his, I'll say, butt. Uh, and, and well, he's getting he's getting big hits, bit home runs. Yeah, right. But he's I think, hitting home runs. You know, Pete Alonso is that same way. He hits. He's hitting, I think, two twenty on the year, but he's got thirty home or twenty five home runs. So there is there is a place for that on a team. I just think Strand right now doesn't have a place on this roster with three catchers and Jonathan India at second base. Strand is hitting 290 with 10 home runs against left-handed pitching in AAA. I, is that not exactly what we need? We need Someone it, yeah. who comes up and can mash left-handed pitching? Yep. Joey Votto can play every day against right-handed pitching. Strand every day against left-handed pitching. And let's run a lineup out there every day that we love. But we can't because Tyler Stevenson can't catch. That's, that's the crux of the issue right now. Everyone wants to bang the table to cut one of the catchers. 
You, you really can't with Tyler Stevenson. And it's ironic because there is a catcher, Tom, in AAA who's playing very well. <laughs> Big game Chucky. Chucky Robinson's down there hitting 380. That's so, your guy. That's my guy. That's right. my guy. And, and I just want to use this to back up for a second uh, what I was talking about with Steer, okay? He has one game this year when he started as a left fielder against Atlanta. When he went three for three, he had a home run and knocked in three runs. He has one other game where he had two hits and knocked in three. So, again, um, you know, very small the number of at-bats, and, and I don't want to read too much into it. Those numbers are true 294, 440 on base percentage as a left fielder, but all of that basically has been accumulated in two games. Yeah. I don't know. I love the kid and the fact that he's willing to play anywhere you want him, right? He'll do anything. Left, right, first, third, DH, do anything. Anything. Um, and that's not to say that other guys on the team wouldn't do the same thing. Because I, th I, I think, by and large, they would. I would love to know if there's been any conversation down there. And, and, and we're not going to know unless somebody comes out and tells you about it. Uh, I'd love to know if, if some of the other guys, uh, you know, you've thought about asking them to move. Most notably, India, who you continue to be south on. It's, he's the South. I, was, I know he's South. He, I looked I, at him I, when I said that. I don't look at you, Elliot. My, my thing with Jonathan India, Jonathan India, I will concede, is after this weekend a leader of the team, and that is he leads the team in ground and in double plays. So oh, boy. That, that is fair. Um, I don't know. Jonathan India, he, he had another terrible play yesterday where he just eats a ground ball right at his feet. Like, I I'm struggling to find an argument to keep Jonathan India at this point. Because, I mean, again, he, Noel Vimarte hasn't been in AAA very long, but by God, is he killing it. He stole a base in the Futures yeah. game. He scored a run. Like, this kid is special. And I, I know you, you got to buy time for him to get ready to come up, but Jonathan India has a 250 bat as well. I'm ready to side with Jacob on this. And, and, it's, and it's tough for me to say I, I love Jonathan India, but he has no value as a three-hole hitter with us. He just has no value. If you're going to keep playing him out there and he's going to double play his way through the season, it's going to get ugly. Uh, Bring him to seven, move him to seven, move him to eight. Benson against the righty should be hitting above him. Vado should certainly be hitting above him against the righty. So I don't know. I, if, I don't know what the reason is. Maybe it's for him to maybe give some confidence. Maybe it's because they don't want to, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of thing. But India right now has no value. He's not a good defender, uh, and his offense has not been good. It has been atrocious, really, in the last month. Somebody asked me in the chat, RM says, Tom, are you trading steer? Absolutely not. No. No chance. No chance. I'm just trying to figure out what they're going to do with this team um, moving forward here as we've talked about time and time and time and time again. By the way, everybody wanted to run Wade Miley out of town. Not that guy has had one hell of a career. Yep. You can say whatever you want to say. That guy has had one hell of a career. We gave Mike Miner about the same contract, Tom. We let Wade Wiley that's right. for Mike Miner. I mean, I, I, that's one move that the team has made, and they made a lot of good ones. But that's one move I just never understood. Miley is a solid guy, solid veteran, takes the ball. He'll have his blow-up start every now and again. In fact, truth be told, you look through his career, he'll have a blow-up season every now and again. But he always seems to come back and respond and look, now he hasn't pitched all year like he pitched yesterday. But what is his ERA on the season, if I'm not mistaken, is like 3.05, something like that, yep. right? Yep. He's having a heck of a year for that team. 
and and you just you, you just send him out there, and he does his thing, and he gives you everything he's got. Uh, but where is this Reds team moving now? And we're going to get a lot into this tomorrow. If you're getting ready, get ready for the second half, right? And you know you got another big. Se- this next homestand is a big time homestand. Yep. Right, I know the Diamondbacks have been leaking a little oil here lately. Yeah, um, but they're still in first place by a half game, if I'm not mistaken, over the Dodgers in the West. They lost four in a row, and then they bounced back to win two in a row uh, the last two days, uh, or before yesterday. They had won two in a row. So you've got in order: Milwaukee, the Giants. That's our big. That's our big game. Monday night. Yep. Next Monday. Yep. Right? Next Monday. Park, Chatterbox yes, Sports Night. Uh, and then you have the Diamondbacks. And then you play the Brewers again, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Right? Yep. In right. Milwaukee again. So, um, one of those is a four-game series. So, you got three, 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 nine, and four. You got 13 games coming up here uh, against uh, six against the Brewers. And then you've got the Giants and Diamondbacks sprinkled in. That's a big-time homestand uh, for the Redlegs. You know, I was looking last night at the, at the second half of the season and the strength of schedules remaining and all of that. And the Reds play the 17th hardest schedule. So right kind of in the middle of the pack. Yeah. They got the series against Marlins, Dodgers. They got seven games against the Diamondbacks. They got to play the Blue Jays seven times against the Giants and then six more against the Brewers. Brewers have the 13th hardest schedule. They have six left against Atlanta, three left against uh, L.A., three against Texas. They also have six against the Phillies mixed in there, too. So Who are playing uh, well. Yeah, so, you know, when you look at Milwaukee and, and the Reds and how this division stacks up, I, I was having a conversation with somebody yesterday before the game. Uh, one of my friends texted me and asked, how I felt about the Reds going forward. Um, he, and he, he be, I think he had a, a future on the Reds to win the division, and he was kind of wondering, hey. It always gets back to game. What, what do you think? What, 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 are my, <laughs> what are my prospects looking like here? And I said, well, you know, I, I, the Reds only have to play the Brewers six more times. I, I talked about that a minute ago. And when the Reds don't play the Brewers and the Brewers – the Brewers haven't killed some of these bad teams. No, this they year. they got swept by the A's. Yeah, the the Brewers. It's not like the Brewers have gone in and taken care of business with a lot of these teams that they should have beaten. Yep. So you know to sit here and say that the Reds might fall off with whatever seventy one games remaining in the season, um, I, you know I I just don't see it. I, I feel like the way the Reds are playing now, the Reds do have a pretty brutal. Uh, end of July into like the third week of well, that's August. That's what we were just talking about. That, yeah. that, that, that layout, and Nick Kirby points out that it's possible that every team the Reds face in September could be already out of the race. That September schedule is very easy. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so if you get to the third week of August and maybe you flip a couple of games, maybe you're, maybe you're down two games, but you get to the third week of August and you're still right there, oh, you got to be feeling great. No doubt about it. You got to be feeling great. No doubt. No if you doubt. get through that last I, I, I'm going to say timeout. Ham and Eggers, you guys take it before I got to get to Chad Brendel here in a second. Continue on, Ham and Eggers, please. Continue on. Right. I'll say what? If you get through that last Milwaukee series and you're still within a handful of games, you got to be feeling good at the end of July. You have to be feeling really, really good at the end of July because the, the way that the Reds' schedule is stacking up, you know, we talked about, we, 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 you know, we were talking about July and you're talking about August where you have to play. Uh, 
you know, the Dodgers, the Dodgers are at the end of July, Milwaukee, but you get through that Milwaukee and that Dodgers stretch, and then you got the Cubs, the Nats, the Marlins, the Pirates, but then it's Toronto and LA and Arizona and San Francisco. You look back at the end of this, at the end of the season into September, you're looking at the Cardinals who this, this was my other point that I wanted to make. Are we, are we set at the All-Star break? Maybe we check in on this in a month. Maybe I'll, I'll pitch this back to you guys in a month. Are we set that this is a two-team race? Because I'm pretty ready to call it that. I could hear an argument for the Cubs, but I'm not going to hear an argument for the Cardinals. They look dead. Because every time the Cardinals, every time we want to do the, like, oh, the Cardinals are hanging around, and I'll always come back to the college basketball uh, analogy where – you know, like take Xavier, for example, where you always have Villanova hanging around, but like this year you just had to realize Villanova wasn't that good and they just didn't compete for a, a Big East championship this year. Like it took us a halfway, two-thirds of the season to realize, oh, wait, they, they're just not good. Now they had injuries, but they're just not good. It kind of feels the same way when I'm watching this Cardinals team where they don't necessarily have injuries the same way. But, I mean, I'm okay with writing the Cardinals off I'm definitely writing the Pirates off, which basically leaves you asking the question, are the Cubs going to compete? They're seven back. They're five under 500. No, I, yeah, I think the Cardinals are done. I mean, you're 12 games back, and I, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think they've put together a good string of games yet this year. No, they haven't. They, they have not even had a stretch where they're a competitive team. Yeah, I think the Cardinals are done. The Cubs, I mean, you think they're done too. I mean, Seven games back at the deadline is a lot different than a couple weeks ago. You think they have to sell some pieces. Yeah. And then it, the, the Pirates, out of, other than Milwaukee, the Pirates probably scare me the most because, I mean, you know, they're going to get O'Neill Cruz back eventually. They have a lot of young talent at the top of their farm. Maybe they can string together some wins. But, yeah, it's pretty easy to call it a two-team race. But, but like, with the Pirates, what happens if O'Neill Cruz – if they're so far out by the time that they kind of put things together that it doesn't really matter? That's what I'm saying. No, you yeah, know, yeah. like if it's, say, August 1st, August 10th, by the time the Pirates start to get a little mojo, it might be too late. No, you're absolutely right. If they're, if they're 9, 10 back, and if they're 9 or 10 back, and the Brewers and the Reds are both there. Because if, if like, let's say the Brewers fall off, and they're 6 or 7 back. Let's say the Reds. Who? The Brewers? Brewers. They're not falling back. They're gonna get the. They're gonna get Woodruff back. They got Burns. They got Miley. They got. They're, they're not good. At, they're not falling six or seven back. I'm just saying. I they're, mean, they're, I'll buy into all of those things with the Cardinals, Pirates, and Cubs. Yeah, but I'm just. Well, the say, Brewers aren't fading away. Let's say the well, yeah, but let's say the Reds sweep the Brewers. So okay. in a perfect world, the Reds sweep the Brewers this coming weekend. They have a four-game lead going into Monday against the Giants. And they kind of mess around, and maybe they the Reds pick up one more game. You know, have a five or six game lead at the end of July. <coughs> Might be fantasy land, the, but well, go ahead. The, well, I was just going to say the trade deadline is going to tell us who what, what kind of race this is going to be. Who's going to be who's going to be competing? I think the Brewers are going to try to get a couple of bats. If that's the case, the Brewers would be back to being the favorite in this division because right now their bats are horrible. Their lineup's one of the worst I've ever seen. Um, it's it, you'll you'll just have to find out then. I, I think we'll tread water. Have a lead. Give me a lead. Give me a three-game lead at the trade deadline, and we'll go from there. But I think the Pirates are done. The Cardinals, I, I'm a Cardinals guy. I, I just you, you can never rule them out. This year I'm ruling them out. They're dead. 
Uh, I've I've changed my mind on that. They're just dead. I, those some, those those losses to Miami were horrible. Yeah, just was, horrible. It was brutal to watch. And the There's Pirates, no respectfully, the city of Pittsburgh. Sorry, sorry for what you've had. To no res- no respect to them. Yeah, Elliot. no respect. Sorry, <laughs> not a lot going on in Pittsburgh. Okay, all right. Uh, we're going to shift gears. We talked about it last week, uh, and somebody in the chat made the comment: "What we we don't live in the South. We're talking college football in July. This is the All Star break, right?" I mean, we've been on the Reds for an hour and a half every single day, rightfully so. Uh, but I mentioned last week there's a lot going on in, in, in college football. The last couple of weekends have been huge weekends for all these schools and bringing in recruits and all that kind of thing. Bearcat General Chad Brendel, kind enough to join us once again. Chad, good morning, young man. How was your weekend? You doing all right? It was good. It was a weekend full of club volleyball tryouts. So, oh boy. Uh, Uber Uber dad did just drop picking the kid up and dropping the kid off at different gyms. Well, that, that when enough. it comes to that's one of those sports. And look, there's a lot of them. I did it with lacrosse and with our son, and 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 then you know you, soccer and everything else. I mean, club volleyball, they own your ass, morning, noon, and night. Am I right about oh, yeah. that? Oh yeah, it's 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 extensive. It, it's not the old days of like you know. I, I played baseball at a pretty high high level in the summers, and you just show up, you play a game, you go home. That's it. Like it, a practice maybe once a week. Volleyball's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I got a, a young lady who lives three doors down who plays down at uh, Tulane, and I mean, my lord, it seemed like her dad and mom were were, were gone. Every day in the summer for about seven, eight years in a row. That might be in your future, Chad Brendel. Um, let's let's there. start with let's start with a transfer portal from UC for this year. Okay, now the guys obviously are going to be in camp. Emory Jones highlighting that entire group. Looks like he's going to be the starting quarterback. Um, from what you've been able to tell so far of the guys that have come in here, and, and look rankings. I don't put a lot of stock into it because. You never know until these guys get on the field and you see what happens, right? You can think some guy's going to be a big star. He's a flop. You can think some guy's a two- or three-star player when he came out of high school, didn't play much where he was before, shows up at your place. It's a great fit. He turns into an NFL player one day. Uh, but, but, but based on all the off-season stuff you've heard, all these guys that Satterfield has brought in, how do they feel about that group? Let's start there. Um, pretty good. I mean, especially they got, they got a couple additions late, uh, that I think they feel really good about, uh, Xavier Henderson, <laughs> a four-star transfer from Florida kind of was the, the final piece on that wide receiver room that they had to completely rebuild. I mean, they had one scholarship player, uh, returning in the wide receiver room at one point. So, um, you, you've got a couple guys there now that you're starting to feel comfortable with. And then you put the icing on the cake kind of with Xavier Henderson uh, to move you forward. Defensively, uh, well, to stay on offense, uh, I think two guys that are going to make a big impact offensively uh, are interior linemen, uh, Trevor Radosevich and Luke Kandra. Uh, Kandra, obviously, the the Cincinnati native that spent the beginning of his career in Louisville. Um, He gets to come home. I think he's going to start at one of the guard spots. And then Radosevich... Uh, is a a transfer from Princeton. Uh, And my guess is he starts at one of the other guard spots. And that line just wasn't, they didn't play well enough last year. 
and uh, they're, they're going to need to see marked improvement there. And a lot of times that can start inside. You return Gavin Gerhardt. Now you've got two really good guards next to him. Uh, so that should help the run game and, and get the offense moving quite a bit. Uh, and then defensively, there's a, a bunch of guys that are going to make an impact. Um, Dan Greshik uh, is an edge rusher uh, from Utah State that transferred in. He was one of the highest graded edge rushers in the country uh, on PFF last year. So that's a guy you think is going to be able to come in and, and, and make some plays for you. The guy I was really high on in the spring is another Florida transfer, uh, a cornerback in Jordan Young. Uh, he just was really fluid, really sticky, uh, good anticipation, good length. So uh, you're, those are some of the transfer names, I think. And there's, there's going to be a lot of them. Those are some of the transfer names I think you're going to need to get familiar with uh, pretty early in this process as Scott Satterfield's first team uh, takes the field. Okay, now let's walk into his high school recruiting. Um, and again, uh, where they are as far as rankings of best class, and you know, some of that can be a little misleading because, uh, for example, and we'll talk to Dave Biddle from Ohio State here shortly, but you know, um, like Ohio State's ranked number two, but their average player ranking is up around 94, which puts them number one. So there's different right. metrics you can use and all that kind of thing. That's fine. Um, but for, for Satterfield coming in, replacing Fickle uh, in short order, getting right to work, so on and so forth, where are they? How do you feel about the recruiting class that they have coming in for next year? So the, the class that's already there, I think they did a pretty good job of maintaining a couple Fickle guys. The key name to know in that class is Brady Drogosh, um, a, a four-star quarterback from Michigan, uh, kind of – perfectly fits what Scott Satterfield wants to do. So he's, I think, the big one to watch in the 2023 class. There are a couple names there that I really like. Um, but to get to 24, I think they've been solid. I mean, I you know, it's tough when you're, you're trying to pick right back up where Luke Fickle left off mm -hmm. and left pretty big shoes to fill. And Scott Satterfield just hasn't recruited, you know, Luke Fickle recruited Ohio – you know, half of his adult life. So you, you don't really, you know, see that instant connection with Satterfield into Ohio. But I think they're getting there. Um, they pulled a couple nice Ohio prospects. They got their quarterback uh, in the 2024 class. Uh, last week, his name is Samaj Jones. Uh, out of Philadelphia, St. Joe's Prep, one of the bigger uh, high school programs. They just won a state championship last year. Uh, in the state of uh, Pennsylvania. So that, that that's you always have to get that centerpiece of quarterback. And that one came down. It was Cincinnati, Oklahoma, and West Virginia. Mm -hmm. And all three schools wanted him. And uh, Scott Satterfield was his first offer when he was at Louisville. That was the kid's first like high major offer. And him, Scott Satterfield and Pete Thomas did a great job building that relationship. And anytime you can beat, you know, two what are now conference mates, one being Oklahoma, you have to feel pretty good about the quarterback you got in uh, for this class. Um, a lot of skill on the outside, a couple really good safeties uh, out of Georgia, uh, Marquavius Sabor and Willie Goodwin, uh, a corner and Daniel James out of uh, another guy, kid out of Georgia. They've gone heavy into Georgia for this class. Uh, looks like he's going to be a good one. Uh, and then 
you know, we were we were spoiled with Sauce Gardner, right? Yep. In terms of a nickname. I got I got one for you, Tom. <laughs> All right, let's hear it. Okay. They have a young man coming in from Clinton Senior High School in Clinton, South Carolina. Zarabian Johnson. His nickname? Gravy. Ooh, I like that. I like I, I like that even better than gravy. sauce. I love yeah, gravy. Gravy, gravy Johnson. <laughs> I, I so, love gravy best because there's nothing better than biscuits and gravy. So when you got gravy, exactly. you got it going on, right? <laughs> I love it. Um, were you surprised, Chad? Uh, I, I got to be honest with you. I was very surprised. Maybe I shouldn't be. Maybe there's some bias from the old quote unquote sort of Big Twelve media, you know, guard, if you will. Uh, that, the, that UC was picked to finish 13 out of 14 teams in football this year. I, I mean, look, Luke Fickle brought in a lot of really good players to this program. Now, I know they've lost some. Uh, they've lost some to graduation. They've lost some to transfer. I get all that. Uh, but I still look at UC football, uh, Chad, and, and the players they have on that roster and some additions they've made here, and I say to myself, it's hard for me to believe that – there are 12 teams that are better than UC in the Big 12. This is their first season in the Big 12. Or, or, or are they right? So here's the thing. I, I don't have a lot of problem with them being picked 13th. I, I don't necessarily agree with it. One of the main reasons I don't agree with it, Tom, they avoid, in the preseason poll, they avoid four of the top five teams in the conference. The only team picked to finish in the top five that they play is Oklahoma, and that's at Nickford Stadium. Yep. So I think that probably wasn't factored into the poll when maybe it should have been. Um, but ultimately, this is a team with a new coach stepping up a level in competition and a team that lost almost all of their offense. Like, I, I don't think people have a, a grasp on just how much <clears throat> that they lost offensively. You lost Ben Bryant. You lost almost your entire offensive line. You lost your three starting wide receivers. You lost your two NFL tight ends. You returned most of your running back room, but you're a year removed from losing Jerome Ford to the NFL, who I think is going to have a breakout year in Cleveland this year. Um, so the offense is almost just a complete unknown because nobody was here or, or in a role that asked them, required them to produce – from a season ago. Do I think the defense is, is still going to be good? Absolutely. But there aren't many teams that win a lot of games in the Big 12 with defense. So if I was picking, I'd probably but, – but here's the thing. Here's the other thing for me. Let's say they got picked 11th. Is that really any different? Right. I think right. the optics of seeing them pick 13th, obviously, uh, with only one team below them. But – I just think there are, there are enough questions on offense that it's justifiable. Now, the other thing you have to consider is the majority of this league, the, the margins are paper thin. So the difference between one and seven in this league is negligible almost. Um, you could argue with Texas roster this year. They, they're supposed well, but to I'm with you, though. Texas finds a way to lay an egg or at least a couple of eggs yeah. every single year. Uh, it doesn't matter who the coach is there, there anymore. So one through 14 in this league, 
Cincinnati, I think there are going to be seven, possibly eight games when the season kicks off that are going to have a three-point or fewer spread. So coin flips. Three-quarters of the schedule are going to be coin flips, and you have an offense that you're not – it's not even that you're not certain. You just have no clue. If you're being honest with yourself, we have no clue what this offense is going to look like. So I I don't love it. I don't agree with it. I think they'll finish higher. But I'm not mad at it because it makes sense. It, it's within the realm of, yeah. I mean, I, I've said I can see this team going anywhere from 4-8 and eight to 8-4, eight and four, and I wouldn't blink at any of it. I just think the quarterback, and look, I know he's bounced around a little bit. He was so highly touted coming out of high school. And look, sure. nobody knows for sure. But, you know, we had Brian Billick, uh, a, a, a part of the program, uh, every week to talk about the NFL last year. He was doing some work out there at Arizona State last year for Herm Edwards. Um, I think the guy knows a lot about offense, and he, he, he thinks that Jones is capable of doing a lot of really good things. To me, he's an extremely dynamic player. And at that position, I think it, you know, he's far more dynamic than Bryant. Does that mean he's a better uh, thrower than Bryant, a more accurate thrower than Bryant? All those kinds of things remains to be seen. But I just look at a guy like him and I say to myself, if you at least have a talented quarterback in that league where you said, uh, you know, defenses don't win a lot of games, um, I think you have a fighting chance. With UC, or am I? I mean, am I? Am I too excited about Jones? No, I, I'm excited about him. Um, I just one, he needs to be more consistent as a passer, yep. but two, he needs to find that guy that was at Florida that ran the ball some and mixed in, you know, that ability to use his athleticism to keep defenses honest. Because if you watch him at Arizona State, he didn't run at all. I mean, it was the only time he ran was if, it, you know, he had to escape. Um, there was nothing that was designed to get him in space and use his athleticism a little bit like they did in Florida. So the kid's not a pocket passer. Like, I, I think he can be okay as a pocket passer, but you don't want to just sit him back there like a statue and have him try to pick apart a defense. That's not his game. So if he can get back to more of who he was – when he was in Florida, he had a really good junior season in Florida. If he can get back to that, I, I think it can be a positive. Um, last thing I want to ask you about, it was asked here in the chat, uh, where is Evan Prater in all this? I mean, th this was a guy, and I watched him play a lot of high school football. He played in the same conference uh, there at Wyoming where our kids went to school at Marymont. So I see him play all the time, or quite a few times anyway, over the course of a year. Um, we saw him get a little bit of playing time, some starts at the end of last year. They did not go well, but it's his first time starting at the collegiate level. Where is he? Where is his future? You, you ready for some, some information, Tom? I'm gonna, I I'm am. Gonna scoop That's you why we have show. you on the show, Chad. So he suffered in the South Florida game last year a shoulder injury that he kind of didn't tell anybody about and played through it. And ultimately, when they got to the offseason, he tried to give it a go, and it, and it wasn't right. So they shut him down um, early in the spring. And they're, they're letting that uh, shoulder get healthy. Well, in the meantime, since he gets his throwing shoulder, he hasn't been able to uh, throw. 
So for summer workouts, they've given him some looks at wide receiver. Wow. And it's it's going to be interesting to see where he's at rehabbing the shoulder. And if he looked good this summer in those workouts, will he potentially get a chance to show himself in the wide receiver room um, if he's not healthy enough or ready to play quarterback? So wow. that's not to say he's been taken out of the quarterback room, but when he couldn't throw, they, they're like, hey, the kid wants to get work in. Let's take a look and at least see what this looks like. So there's an op there's a possibility when we get to higher ground uh, the first week of August that we might be – the big story in town might be Evan Prater at wide receiver. See, Chad, that's why we love having you come on the program. This is information we don't get anywhere else. Uh, is he okay with being in the wide receiver room? Is he the kind of kid that – you know, I mean, you know him. I don't know him. Um, is he the kind of kid that – that, that, that might look at the situation, look at the landscape. Jones right now, these other quarterbacks coming in. Uh, you know, uh, my chance there, coupled with the injury to the shoulder, whatever it might be, repercussions from that. Uh, my best chance to continue to play a lot of football is to play another position. I think he's been open to it this summer, and that's the first step. Right. Um, you know, if he goes out there and looks really good at it, maybe it clicks in his brain, huh? Maybe I, maybe I do have a future doing this. Or maybe, you know, my, my trajectory changes a little bit if I focus on this um, and try to make something out of it. So he's been open to it. Um, how that goes, you know, obviously when the shoulder is healthy, it could, is going to determine uh, what, what ultimate direction it takes. But um, he, he didn't shut it down. And I think that's a good sign that he's open to, look, I just want to help the team. Whatever's best for me to help the team, I want to be able to do it. And if that's moving to wide receiver, then it's moving to wide receiver. And they've taken the first step in that process. Now we see where it goes from there. All right, last thing I want to ask you about, because there still are some recruits out there that have decisions to make. There are a lot of big ones out there that still have decisions to make. If there's one or two uh, guys to keep an eye on, uh, between now and, you know, whenever. I mean, they can wait as long as they want to finally commit somewhere. Uh, are there one or two guys that, you know, would really round out this UC class that they're still, uh, you know, hot on right now? I, I don't – I think they, they got most of – there were a couple guys, obviously, you're not going to get them all. Uh, there were a couple guys that – so what they do now is they do official visits in June. And that kind of has accelerated the whole process yeah. – um, so generally you, you have a good idea of who the, the team is, is heavily interested in based on the official visit list. Almost all of their official visitors that they had in June have decided. So, and they have 18 commits and this staff likes to use the transfer portal and you already brought in, it's like 40 guys, uh, from in the last class between high school and transfer. So there's a decent chance they don't have a, a ton of wiggle room left. I think now what you'll see is they'll monitor um, high school tape uh, through the, the, the fall and see maybe, you know, decommitments once coaching changes start happening in December uh, and maybe play those markets a little bit. But right now, Samaj Jones was kind of the one that was like you were waiting to hear from. And once they got him into the fold, that – I think put you know uh, put them in a pretty good spot for the summer, 
And now you can wait and see how things develop uh, going into the fall. All right, last thing I'm going to ask you, Chad, because, uh, you know, when I listen to you on the radio, you, you know, for a dude your age, you really surprise me with your musical taste. I got to tell you, I mean, you <laughs> like some, you know, you got an eclectic kind of, did you well, go to Post Malone? Did you go to Post Malone? No, I had, I had volleyball tryouts. The, the, the daughter had tryouts all the way. And she, we got home at like eight o'clock last night. It's would you relentless. would you have liked to have gone to Post Malone? I like Post Malone. I mean, I, I'm not like a, like a, a diehard, but I enjoy his music. So I would have I would have checked it out if you know somebody called and said, "Hey, I got a ticket. Let's let's go <laughs> let's go listen." I'm just the only thing I really I, I don't do country. Uh, everything else I'm I'm pretty good with. Yeah, I mean, you would blow my mind some of the stuff you'd have as intro music, and you talk a little bit about it, and I'd be like, "Wow, you know, okay, you know, it's it's." I'm the, I'm the, I'm the Gen X Ken Brew. Yeah, you are. You're exactly right. That's a great analogy, the Gen X Ken Brew. Chad, thanks so much for your time, man. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Tom. Have a good one, All right, man. Good Chad Brendel, Bearcat Journal, kind enough to join us. And uh, we'll check in with him from time to time if he uh, has the time to uh, join us once uh, they get to higher ground. And it's a whole different world, man, without Luke Fickle around. There's been a lot written here in the last few days. Uh, one of my favorite people, I had a chance to work with him. We've become very good friends through the years, Barry Alvarez. He was on this program, you may remember, a number of months ago. Uh, legendary football coach at Wisconsin. Uh, later became the athletic director, stepped down as the AD. Uh, there was a lengthy piece in The Athletic yesterday, an interview with uh, Barry Alvarez about Luke Fickle. Boy. I tell you, man, every time you open up the, the newspaper, right, or jump onto the internet, Fickle is reeling in another big fish. He finds he gets a four-star running back recruit yesterday. Um, they, they, they've used the transfer portal. Uh, their offense has been brutal for a long time, despite having an offensive coach and Paul Chris there for a long time. But, I mean, they are really, really excited. Uh, about Luke Fickle in Wisconsin. Why would anybody be surprised by that after what Fickle did here, right? I'm certainly not. No, I expect Wisconsin to be a name you hear competing in the Big Ten for decades to come. I mean, they're already – they play in maybe the easiest division in Power 5 football. Well, but that's going away next year, not this right, year, but next right. year. But, I mean, playing in the Big Ten, you're getting USC and UCLA. I don't see any reason why Wisconsin is not in the top tier of those teams. I mean, they already are. You already see Wisconsin – Back when Ohio State was playing for national championships, going to the playoff in the beginning of the playoff era, it was always Wisconsin in the yep. Big Ten championship. Yep. So, I mean, Luke Fickle's already given them the best quarterback recruit they've had in probably since Graham Mertz. Graham Mertz didn't work out, obviously. So this new revamped offense is something we've never seen from Wisconsin. I think they have three five-star receivers from the transfer portal yep. and recruiting in, in general. They might not have had three five-star receivers in the history of Wisconsin football. So it's going to be really exciting to see. They're going to start throwing the ball a little bit more. I think the days of you know two fullbacks and three tight ends in Wisconsin are, are going out the window, yep. which is exactly what they need. That's why a lot of these Big Ten teams are getting left behind when they play teams like the SEC and teams in the Pac-12 because that smash-mouth brand of football doesn't work against high-end speed. So Fickle's doing exactly what needs to be done to revamp that roster, and you know I think he's going to succeed quickly. I tell you, I, I think the guy's going to win a ton of games at Wisconsin, man. I think he's going to build a juggernaut up there. You can win at Wisconsin now. Barry Alvarez won three Rose Bowls there. This isn't like taking over for 
Northwestern or Purdue, for that matter. I mean, this is Wisconsin. They've got a big-time tradition since Alvarez stepped into that job uh, 30 years ago now. I mean, they have had some really good teams there, teams you don't want to play. And now I really think for the first time since Alvarez left, not taking anything away from some of the guys, Chris won 75% of his games there. But at Wisconsin, that ain't good enough. Yeah, and as it relates to UC and what Chad was talking about with UC football coming into the year and you, you're talking about teams that are you know, picked ahead of UC in the standings right now and UC's win total I think is set at four and a half games. I think the thing that would make me the most nervous, and we've talked about this fairly extensively I think on the show, but um, if we haven't, sometimes I kind of forget what we talk about off the air and what we talk about on the air. But I think the one thing that would make me the most nervous as a UC football fan coming into this season is how ecstatic all of the Louisville fans are that Satterfield was gone yeah. and is now somewhere else. Yep. That would make me very nervous. Um, I, I don't really have much else to add. I think Elliot, that's more up Elliot's alley than, than mine. But I, I don't know what you're thinking on that would be, Elliot. On, on I, I, I just... When you read any forum, any Twitter thread, any anything about Kenny Satterfield, it's always, oh, I'm just glad that he's not at Louisville anymore. Yeah, I, it's, uh, I'm going to try to be respectful. Satterf no, you're not. Just well, go ahead. He just doesn't move the needle. He just doesn't move the needle. I was concerned with the hire. I, we are, the choices weren't great. The options weren't great. I think one of the, one of the big ones was uh, Brian Hartline, guy from OSU. I, I, I just think, I think Satterfield is going to struggle, if I'm going to be honest. It just seems it just I, and again I don't want to say that I, I'm basing this on no evidence he hasn't he hasn't yet you know you got to give these times guys time to prove yes it. you do um, but as of right now I'm underwhelmed by the hire and as we go into one of the bigger conferences in college football uh, it doesn't move he doesn't move the needle for me it's never the guy that replaces the guy it's the guy that replaces the guy that replaces I, I gotta the guy. tell you fellas I, I you know what I I I disagree respectfully on this thing I really do. Because I think everyone forgets around here. And look, if you follow Ohio State football and a lot here in the chat are saying, you know, trash Columbus, blah, blah, blah. Look, um, Luke Fickle, when he took over, now that was a scandal play with a Terrell Pryor, all that kind of thing, right? When he took over for Trestle, it was the first and last Ohio State team ever to finish under 500. Ever. That's a long time forever in Ohio State football. Okay? Urban Meyer kept him on. When Urban took over, Fickle was the interim. He interviewed for the job. They bring in Urban. Urban keeps him on as co-defensive coordinator. When UC hired him, His name might have moved the needle a little bit because we knew him in Ohio. He went to high school in Columbus. He was a star player at Ohio State. He had made a name for himself as defensive coordinator at Ohio State. But as a head coach, he had done nothing. Nothing. Satterfield may not have lived up to all the expectations at Louisville. But Satterfield does have a track record now of winning some games. Right? Right. Okay. So, you know... I, I, I'm going to hold off on this thing with Satterfield. I, I'm going to wait a little while and kind of see what happens with this thing. I'm with you. He didn't move the needle necessarily. I'm with you all the way there. 
But when they hired Luke Fickle here uh, from Columbus, there were a lot of people wondering, did they just not hire the name Luke Fickle because everybody knew what his name was, right? Yep. All right. Um, uh, Swaggy Plague says Fickle is a beast and would destroy Vrabel in a cage match. <laughs> what's, what's, by the way, what's... Man, your- oh man, how about those two getting together now? You're talking about a couple of real men there. What's your leash for Satterfield? What's your leash for Satterfield? I think you got to give him at least three, four years. Three years? You have okay. to because... Of all the transfer stuff going on, yep. um, players leaving, him bringing in others, he's been very active there. You're going into an extraordinarily uh, difficult conference, right? For yep. the first time ever. Uh, so, um, you know, look, you, you got to give the guys some rope. You have to. Uh, and Fickle got some rope. He did. Right? In yep. a lesser conference. He, str- he struggled mightily in the first season. So, yeah, I would say so. Yeah, there's no doubt. All right, Dave Biddle, kind enough to join us from Columbus, Ohio. We had him on the program before. We love having him back. He knows everything going on up there at Ohio State. David, good morning. How was your weekend? Hope everything's all right with you. Doing great, Tom. Thanks for having me on. And, yes, Luke Fickle would destroy Mike Vrabel in a fight. As tough as Mike Vrabel is, Luke Fickle's wrestling background would take the cake there. I have no doubt Luke Fickle could have been a national champion NCAA wrestler if he went that route. He was a, one of the best wrestlers in Ohio high school history. So I just wanted to throw that out there. No, it's funny you bring that up because I was referring to the article written yesterday in The Athletic, an interview, an extensive interview with Barry Alvarez, longtime great head coach, Hall of Fame coach at Wisconsin. And he was asked about Fickle, who's taken over, obviously, at Wisconsin. And he said that he, in the article he talked about going to watch Fickle as a wrestler when they were trying to recruit him uh, in Ohio. I think he was DeSales, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yes, sir. Yep. Yeah, so he, he said it. watching this guy and that combination of a football, uh, I mean, a wrestler and, and all the commitment and the toughness and the dedication and the time and all those kinds of things, and you couple that now with being a football player, and he said it's almost a perfect match. So even though, like you said, Vrabel's a big, big strong dude, uh, Fickle could probably put you in a pretzel. That's exactly right. Now, they're like, they're tight friends. I mean, they were best friends in college. I think they were best men at each other's weddings. Their their families are tight, so they would never get in a fight. But if they did, Luke would win that fight. All right. All right. Let's get to Ohio State. Uh, Before we get to the team in the upcoming season, they get a huge commitment um, a, a few days ago. Many feel like Justin Scott, he's out of Chicago, is the best defensive lineman prospect in the country. Uh, they were, I mean, everybody was after this guy. Alabama really came down to Michigan. Most people felt like Michigan and Ohio State, but Alabama, Georgia, they're all on him. Uh, and, and many feel like this uh, is, is the best recruiting class potentially that Ryan Day has had. Would that be accurate so far? Yes, that would be. I, you know, the last really great class to come through here, I would say, would be 2017. So that was like toward the end of the Urban Meyer era. Of course, Ryan got to coach a lot of those guys when they were juniors, his first year as head coach. But yeah, Tom, I mean, his 2021 class was really good with JT Tumalau and all those guys, Jack Sawyer, on and on and on, you know, Travion Henderson, um, you know, and last year's class, the 2022 class and uh, the 2023 classes 
pretty pretty darn good too. But this 2024 class, yes, is shaping up to clearly be Ryan Day's best class. I don't think they'll finish with the top class in the nation. I think they'll finish second or third. I think Georgia will probably hold on to that top uh, ranking. Right now it's Georgia 1, Ohio State 2. Alabama's doing what they always do. They kind of lurk behind. They're ranked like in the 20s right now, and you could bet your life they're going to be in the top three when all the, the dust settles. Yeah. So I bet it'll go Georgia 1, maybe Ohio State 2, Alabama 3. If not, Georgia uh, one Alabama two Ohio State three so but yeah I think this is going to be a top three class for the Buckeyes and um, they're you know they're doing a great job and as you mentioned they got Justin Scott that kind of came out of nowhere it seemed like he was leaning toward Michigan maybe go somewhere else loved his visit at Ohio State a couple weeks ago and then committed about a week after that that was a big pleasant surprise for the Buckeyes and as you mentioned I mean you could argue he's the best defensive tackle in the nation young man out of Chicago then they land Miles Lockhart a four star corner last week and Tom they're in on a bunch of other five stars I don't know if they're going to get you know they're not about five five stars that they have a legit chance on the one that I think they're probably going to get is five-star corner Aaron Scott from Springfield Ohio um, it's going to come down to Ohio State and Michigan he's picking on his dad's birthday he's announcing on his dad's birthday July 30th so I don't imagine he's going to troll his own father who's a huge Buckeye fan <laughs> but he likes Michigan a lot so that's one to keep an eye on and they're in on some other five stars like K.J. Bolden, the number one safety in the country. I tend to think he'll go to Georgia. And there's a few others, Dylan Stewart, Brandon Baker, Edrick Houston. They're in on all those guys. If they can land Aaron Scott, maybe one or two others, then they can land or, or give Georgia a run for their money for the top class. You know, it's interesting you bring up uh, the, the, the corners, uh, both guys from Ohio. The other they signed on that same weekend trip here a couple of weeks ago, the kid from Glenville up in, uh, up in uh, Cleveland. Um, and, and how there were a lot of people out there, Dave, that felt like, you know, and, and we'll get to this Michigan thing here in a minute as it pertains to losing the last two years to Ryan Day. We'll get to that in a second. But, you know, all of a sudden Jim Harbaugh feels like, hey, I can come into Ohio and start stealing some guys out of there where when Urban was here, you know, there was a gate around that whole thing. Uh, but, but, but these two guys, the kid out of Springfield you alluded to, the kid out of Cleveland, all of a sudden, you know, now all of a sudden Day is able to close the deal, especially on defenders. I don't think skill position players are a problem for Ryan Day, but talk about what this means as far as being able to nail down defensive players to come to Ohio State. Yeah, that's a great point, Tom. I mean, they've been knocking it out with offensive recruiting, but, you know, Ohio State fans are like, when are they going to step it up with defensive recruiting? Not that it's been bad the last few years, but it's been nowhere near the level of the offense. And, yeah, and they've had, they have some really top-rated recruits right in their backyard in Ohio this year, and it was critical that they landed um, the vast majority of them. And, and, yeah, they got Bryce West, the corner from Glenville that you mentioned, and I always thought he'd be a Buckeye. I mean, the, the next time Ohio State wants a, really wants a player from Glenville that they don't get um, – might not be the first, but it'd be one of the first. That's for sure. That hasn't happened in a long, long time. That the pipeline from Glenville is getting ratcheted back up. Uh, Aaron Scott's a little more interesting, even though I feel like he, he's going to be a Buckeye. Um, the tea leaves are pointing that way. At one point, it seemed like Michigan was probably more likely, and that's still one to keep an eye on. There's no doubt about it. That Ohio State does not have him in the bag yet. But they've done a really good job recruiting him. Tim Walton, the corners coach, Ryan Day has done a good job himself. He told Aaron Scott, "We don't want you." We need you. And I think, you know, that really resonated with him and his entire family's diehard Buckeye fans. But uh, he's been having a lot of fun with the process. But you're right. I mean, especially in your own state, you have to get these top defensive players. And you can't allow Michigan to do what they did so well in the 90s and even before that, 
were really the lifeblood of their program, Tom, as you know, was players from Ohio. No doubt I mean, about Desmond it. Howard from Ohio, Charles Woodson from Ohio, Elvis Gerback from Ohio. Jim Harbaugh was born in Ohio. We could go back to the Bo Schimbeckler era, you know, when they would introduce the players before the Ohio State-Michigan game, watch those old games, you know, half the Michigan starters would say somewhere from Ohio is where they're from. So, yeah, I think Ohio State's stemming that tide. Michigan's doing a good job overall recruiting, but Ohio State's kind of kind of taking the bull by the horns and uh, they're doing a good job. And, Tom, I think NIL's helping. I think Ohio State's finally doing, you know, they're finally where they want to be in the NIL, in the NIL department. Walk me through a little bit of that, uh, Dave, the whole NIL thing. Well, you know, when I read that Ohio State was behind, okay, whatever that means, what does that mean? So, you know, this previous recruiting class, so the guys that will be true freshmen this year, um, they lost out on, you know, according to sources I trust profusely, at least three or four guys that that they definitely would have landed. They gave them, you know, silent commits, then had to come back, or silent verbals, had to come back and say, well, can you match what this school is giving me? And at the time, first of all, Ohio State itself can't do that. They have to use the collectives. But at the time, they just weren't in the position to be able to do that. And kids were then just taking the best offer. Well, now in the 2024 class, we haven't heard about any of that. And um, in fact, we're hearing that NIL is helping. And a big reason is there's two main collectives, two big collectives. Um, one called the Foundation, and then one that's newer called the 1870 uh, Society. 1870 being the first year Ohio State uh, was opened. Um, first year it became a university. So the 1870 Society and then the Foundation. Both those groups are doing a great job. It comes down to that. They've got two heavy-hitting foundations now, collectives, um, that are doing a great job. Are, are they giving the money that Texas A&M is giving? No. Are they giving the money that like Miami is giving? No. But they are overall keeping up with the Joneses. And it's really been, Tom, hasn't really been a 180 since December when you could tell Ryan Day was frustrated about it. But it's been like at least a 90. I mean, they, it's been a, a big difference in a relatively short period of time. And, and now you're not hearing about any of these 2024 recruits that, oh, well, they're not going to get this kid because of NIL. Now Ohio State's able to compete. All right, uh, Dave Biddle joining us from uh, 247 Sports, 24-7 Sports, Bucknuts Morning 5. Uh, you can get him but, uh, at Dave Biddle on uh, Twitter. Um, a couple things I want to cover real quick before we let you go, Dave. Number one, um, Ryan Day, uh, hot seat or no as it pertains to winning or losing against Michigan when all is said and done. They go undefeated this year. They beat Notre Dame. They beat Wisconsin. They beat Penn State. They beat whoever they play. They get beat by Michigan for a third straight year. He on the hot seat? He would keep his job in that scenario, Tom, unless they got completely blown out and embarrassed um, or unless there was something was going on you know, off the field on top of that, um, some type of scandal. Now, Ryan Day is a you know, – I. I've gotten to know him pretty well. You never all, always know these guys that well, but I've gotten to know Ryan Day pretty well, and I, I think he's truly a, a, a very good man. Um, but to answer your question, and it's a, you know, it's, it's a question that, uh, that we're all wondering, uh, would he be on the hot seat if he loses to Michigan, but that's his only loss? Um, he would still be on the hot seat, certainly going into the next year, but I think he would keep his job. If he's sitting there at 11-1, and one, and under that scenario, they could still get in the playoffs like they did last year. And it was funny. We were you know, somewhat close to an Ohio State-Michigan rematch, Michigan then lost to TCU. Then it looked like Ohio State was going to beat Georgia uh, until they didn't. Um, so maybe Ohio State could still sneak, uh, sneak in the playoffs at 11-1 with a loss to Michigan. But it would have to be a close loss in Ann Arbor. Um, it's tough, though, Tom. As you know, you lose three straight times to Michigan, especially after dominating them for so many years. Ohio yeah. State going off a, a streak where they were 15-2 and two against Michigan, eight wins in a row. 
now you lose two in a row and it almost feels like they've lost five in a row. You know, as you know, being yeah. a Buckeye fan yourself, like it's like feels like they've lost like more than two. But yeah, he would be, I would say he'd be on the hot seat, like going into the 2024 season for sure. But if they're 11 and one with just that one loss to Michigan, as painful as it would be, I think he would keep his job. All right, last thing I want to ask you about. And I, I, look, it, it, the roster is what it is. When you look at their the players they have, it's Ohio State, right? I mean, it's Georgia, it's Alabama, it's you know, you're getting the best of the best of the best. Their wide receivers, the group, uh, the only wide receiving core better in America might be the Bengals' wide receiving core, and I don't think that's a stretch. I mean, Ohio State has. You know, along with these guys that are coming in now that were the best high school players in the country a year ago, they could have five or seven first-round draft picks out of that group that's in that room right now when all said and done. They're going to have two of them next year on the heels of another one, on the heels of two more and two more of the two years before. Uh, the running backs, when healthy, are through the roof. And Travion Henderson, Mayon Williams, on and on and on and on. Uh, but, but, uh, the quarterback has started one game, uh, and it looks like it's going to be Kyle McCord. Yet, in most of the preseason publications, Ohio State is picked as high as number one. In most polls, they're number two, number three, number four. Are you surprised with a brand-new quarterback that they are picked that high? I am not, because I think Ryan Day has proven, you know, and, and I feel this way as well, you know, until proven otherwise, he's going to get the benefit of the doubt, even with a new quarterback, especially one that he handpicked. You know, it, he really had his pick between J.J. McCarthy and Kyle McCord and picked Kyle McCord. J.J. McCarthy would have been a Buckeye, to my understanding, if Ohio State would have offered him early. Um, now, you could argue that that has not turned out well for Ohio State. That story is still to be determined, though. We haven't seen what Kyle McCord can do other than one start his true freshman year uh, against Akron. Um, but, uh, yeah, Tom, it's going to be interesting. It's still, you know, we still don't know for sure, but I think Kyle McCord's going to have a good year. Can he have a good enough year where Ohio State can achieve their goals? That's my question. I think he will have a at least a good year. Can he have a great year? How good is this offensive line going to be? Are they going to be good enough? Not good enough to beat Rutgers and beat some of these teams. Are they going to be good enough to beat Michigan? Are they going to be good enough to beat a very good Penn State team? You know, they have other tough games, you know, at Wisconsin, at Notre Dame. Um, you know, Wisconsin is going to be ready with Luke Fickle. Um, and, you know, can, if they get to the playoff, can they beat – is this offensive line? And is Kyle McCord going to be good enough to beat a Georgia team or whoever they would play in the playoffs? So is this defense going to be able to, you know – contain the big plays. They're going to give up some big plays. That's part of the Jim Knowles defense. They're aggressive, but they can't be um, as susceptible to the big plays they were last year. And Tom, I do think this defense is going to be much improved. But yep. Those are your three main questions. You are your three main question marks. You nailed it. It's Kyle McCord is first and foremost because quarterback so important. And then offensive line defense. Um, I do believe in this roster. I think they've they put together a good coaching staff, including some behind-the-scenes guys like James Laurinaitis as a grad assistant. He's really the quarterback's coach. Um, I like the coaching staff. I like the roster. There are some question marks, though. Uh, season's going to be here before we know it, my man. I'm going to Big Ten Media Days in two weeks. Can't wait. Last thing I want to ask you, and I'll let you go. Uh, I know this isn't – you don't follow Northwestern. Uh, but this is a, th 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 you know, I, I talked about it in the monologue. This is one of those deals, Dave, where, you know, I said it a little while ago that we all love whistleblowers when they fit our narrative. We don't like whistleblowers when they don't fit the narrative. You and I both know we've been to Chicago 
and been to Northwestern football games. I'm not so sure there is a coach. Now, I'm not saying wins and losses clearly here. But I'm not so sure there's a thing as a coach who is more popular with his fan base than Pat Fitzgerald is at Northwestern. He was a great player there. They went to the Rose Bowl. He's been there for, what, 15, 16, 17 years. He's had offers to go other places. He's never left. He is the cheerleader for Northwestern University. Now, all of a sudden, you have a student last year that comes out, uh, a student athlete, goes to the university administration, says uh, this was going on. Very serious charges. Okay, they print it in the student newspaper which should not come as any surprise. That's their job, right? Now, all of a sudden, here in the last 24 hours, you get somebody that comes out and says, hey, that whistleblower told me that he was going to fabricate the stories. He was going to do everything he could to get Pat Fitzgerald fired. You have basically the entire team sign a document that says none of this nonsense is true. Where do you think all of this, and I know you don't have a crystal ball, it's a he said, she said thing, but... But this is a terrible, terrible story for Pat Fitzgerald in Northwestern. Yeah, it's it's as you illustrated, it's so convoluted too. And I, I keep going back and forth on it. And initially, when they gave him the two week suspension, and not just the suspension, but the you know what they said, what the president said, it sounds okay. It sounds like they're going to stand by their man here. Um, they believe that he didn't know, but they believe he should have known. So there's the two week suspension. But jobs probably not on the line. <clears throat> then. You know, came out late Saturday night. The president came out and, and revised his statement and said, well, maybe we were a little too lenient. So then I'm thinking, Tom, I'm like, oh, boy, he's going to lose his job over this. Like, that, that just, that's not good. And then, as you mentioned, the other twist now is you have another, like, anonymous source coming out and saying, no, the, the first anonymous source just, you know, has an axe to grind with Fitz. And um, none of this is true. You have the entire team saying it's not true. I don't know. I, it, you know. Sounds to me like something probably happened. I don't know to what degree. Right. Um, it's it's awful if the allegations are true, obviously. Um, but I, I don't know where, where I come down on this. I don't know. I keep going like, well, he's going to keep his job for at least one more year. Well, maybe, yeah, maybe he's done now, especially coming off a 1-11 season. Now, these allegations, you got the president coming out and saying, well, maybe we were a little too lenient. We got to rethink the punishment. I don't know where I'm at on, that, on this now, Tom. I think they've just got to not rush this. Make sure they give him due process, um, as crazy as that is in this world. But um, seriously, give him – I know it's not a court of law, but give him due process. Make sure you know what you're doing because you're right. He is Northwestern. He turned them he, – when he was a player, he turned them into – helped turn them into a, like a legit good team, as you said. He's been very good as a head coach. So um, I don't know. I, I just I, – I don't know what the truth is, so it's hard to really say. But I, I do think at the very least he's in very hot water right now. All right, Dave, we thank you for your time, my friend. All the best. Have fun up at the Big Ten uh, media days up there and send Luke Fickle our very, very best as well. I won't, I won't try and wrestle him. Go no, Reds. No. Go Bengals. Thank you for having me on, Tom. I appreciate it. All right, Dave Biddle, kind enough to join us. At Dave Biddle, you can find him on Twitter, 24-7 Sports up there, podcasts, everything that's uh, uh, Ohio State. You know, I, I always get some, uh, a kick out of uh, some of the people in the uh, chat when they bring up about you know, different team schedules. And the, and the point was made here a minute ago about Ohio State playing who? Rutgers or he, he includes at the same time Illinois. Didn't Illinois play in a Big Ten championship game last year? I think they did. 
I'm quite sure they did against Michigan. And then they played yeah, number they did, 20 they did, Mississippi they did, they did, they did. State, an SEC team. And they got beat in the last five minutes of the game in a bowl game. They're playing Notre Dame. They're playing Wisconsin. They're playing Penn State, who's preseason ranked number five. They're playing Michigan, who's preseason ranked number two. Okay, so just hold on. Illinois is not a joke, Brian B. You, you couldn't be more wrong. They are not a joke. It was Purdue in the Big Ten Championship last year. Purdue, okay. Purdue Illinois knocked off. Michigan All right. down to the wire the week That's before. right. That's what I was thinking of. That's a game Illinois should have won that should've game. Won. They blew that game. All right, uh, Ham and Eggers, take it away. We got about uh, a little less than uh, a little less than thirty minutes to go on the program here today. Um, one thing I said it twice last week, Paul, you weren't here. That uh, many have asked about it <clears throat> in the chat uh, that we never got to last week uh, is this whole uh, Corey Dillon thing. I want to know your guys' thoughts on this. For those who aren't familiar. Um, there was an article written by Paul Daner Jr. in The Athletic where basically he asked Corey Dillon about the Bengals' ring of honor and about the Pro Football Hall of Fame. There are only 10 running backs in the history of the NFL, the history of the league, that average better than 4.2 yards per carry in their career, rush for over 10,000 yards in their career, and rush for better than 70 yards per game in their careers. Eight of the 10 to do that, Corey Dillon's one of them, are in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. The only two that aren't are Corey Dillon and Fred Taylor, who of course was around for the Jaguars, a lot of bad teams, some decent teams, a great back. So they're the only two that aren't. We're not just talking about the Pro Football Hall of Fame now here, we're also talking about the Bengals Ring of Honor. And Dillon is the all-time leading rusher in the history of the franchise. Um, and Corey Dillon said, listen, just turn on your recorder and print verbatim everything I am about to say in which he launches into a 20-minute tirade about him not being in the Pro Football Hall of Fame and what a joke it is, the Bengals' ring of honor, and the way they are determining who votes for and is being put into the Bengals' ring of honor. It is an unbelievable Exchange. It's really not even an exchange. It's a one-way conversation. Um, and look, we live in a day and age now where you can't get more vanilla than 99% of the athletes that are asked about anything in this day and age. And this guy lays it all out there. Whether you agree with him or not, that's your decision. Jason Williams writes in the Cincinnati.com, uh, the Inquirer, two days later, fresh off of this story, that Corey Dillon does not belong in the, Rengals, the Bengals' ring of honor. He lays out what the criteria is for the Bengals' ring of honor, and there's nothing in there that says anything about statistics. It talks about contributions to the franchise. He cited Corey Dillon walking off the field and throwing his helmet and his shoulder pads into the stands, talking about how the Bengals suck. Those were his words, not mine. Um, and all of the things that he said about Mike Brown, he said about the team, and all this kind of stuff. And so, in Jason Williams' mind, nope, no chance. No chance. Doesn't belong there. So, we're going to talk about this because all you guys are hardcore 
well, most of you are hardcore Bengals fans. I'm not going to say all, because Paul is kind of a transplant. But he's become a Bengals. No, fan. no, no. I've always, I've always been a Bengals fan. Oh, that's fan. right. You're right. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. right. that's right. That's one, right. Okay. What's the one thing I'll never get mistaken for, Tom? A Washington Commanders fan. Never. Could I never. thought Dan Snyder was your best friend. Oh, best friend. That Daniel was... Snyder. <laughs> the last time we'll say his name on the show. I hope. Ham and Eggers. Led by Daniel Snyder's number one fan, uh, Paul Fisher. <laughs> Take it away. It's that time of the show, the Ham and Eggers. These guys are great. Trust me, I would know. I introduce all the best segments. It would be nice if that was the last time we ever talked about Dan Snyder on this uh, program. Probably going to have to. Have eventually. you guys ever seen my rant on Dan Snyder? No. I'll have to pull it up after this Unfamiliar. show. Unfamiliar. I'm not a fan of the individual. I, I don't know. I'm just... Making sure people know my stance. Uh, all right. Bengals Report is brought to you by Encore Technologies. Encore Technologies provides IT solutions for a data-centered world with a suite of services from mobile computing to desktop to data center, supporting both centralized and work-from-home computing models to improve efficiency and productivity. That's right. Visit Encore.tech. The path to innovation begins here. Also, Pony Water. It's made right here in Hamilton. Well, thought it was going to fall. Uh, it uses natural limestone filtration, unlike the artificial processing that many other brands use. The result is a healthy alkaline water that's the best tasting water in the world. You can visit their website at pontywater.com. That is P-A-H-H-N-I water.com. P-A-H-H-N-I water.com to see where you can buy it. It is the official water of the River's Edge concert series. And we have seen a bunch of you tweet about Pony Water. You're tweeting at us, uh, tweeting about Pony Water. Thanks to everybody that, uh, that, that's bought it, that's got it, that's tweeted us about it. If you are listening to this podcast uh, or if you're listening to this show in podcast form on Apple, Spotify, wherever, but especially on Apple Podcasts, leave the show a rating and a review. It helps out the algorithm, helps out uh, the suggestions, everything. We know a lot of you, hundreds of you uh, listen to this show every day. If not thousands. We, yeah, we joke about... Um, you, you know, or not joke. We look at, at the, at the analytics of this show and it's just been continual growth, um, for the last seven months. We're going on a year. We're getting real close to a year. Uh, September 1st was the first, uh, show last year. So we're getting real close to the first year of the show, first anniversary. And it's been, except for November, some reason, I don't know what happened in November, except for November, it has been consistent growth. Uh, for this show the entire the entire time. So we want to thank all of you for that. But also, if you could help us out, leave a rating or review, that would be greatly appreciated. And you can listen to Chatterbox Reds too. Leave them a rating or review. I was just checking on that last night. I've seen a lot of you do that. Um, Chatterbox Reds has consistently been in the top 25 of baseball podcasts nationwide on Apple. It's still sitting there. Uh, last I checked. So uh, make sure you leave everybody a little review. Um, and the only other thing that I have was the Chatterbox Reds night. Next Monday, a week from today, July 17th against the Giants, you can buy four shirts on the Chatterbox store. Buy four shirts. You get the ticket free. You have to add the ticket to your cart. And then you can get the ticket. Uh, use code. What's the code, Casey? Seabox? Uh, I think it's Seabox. <laughs> we should know that. I should have known that. I think I it's, believe it's I think C-box. it's, I think it's code check. C-box. Uh, we'll get on that for you here in a second. But it's it's just chatterboxsports.com. Also, there is a blog now. <laughs> on what? What, Elliot? 
Mouse, it is C-Box. No, Mouse is making me laugh in the, in the, uh, chat. In the chat. Mouse, okay. made, Mouse made me laugh. <laughs> Got it. Um, the only other thing that I have to pitch uh, while, we're, while we're here is that there is a new Chatterbox blog. There's, uh, it's called The Word. It is on ChatterboxSports.com. Uh, I am filtering through. I, I've seen a lot of people uh, send emails with new articles and things to post. Um, if you're watching the show and I have, uh, you know, if you sent me something, then I'm going to take a look at a lot of those today. Um, we have a few that I posted just to get things started back on July 1st that were a little more evergreen content because I knew I was going out of town and wasn't going to be on my computer much through the week. Uh, but we're going to catch up with that, have some Reds content, Bengals as it comes, and and a lot more there. So if you like the written word, which speaking of the written word, Tom, as yes. we transition out of the ham and eggers segment, yes. I don't know if you saw while you were out of the room, the New York Times cut its sports department. And uh, they are now, I guess, transitioning into full coverage through The Athletic because they purchased they, The they Athletic. Own the athletic yeah. They own The Athletic. But they cut their own uh, you know, internal sports department, hmm. which is – Pretty crazy. They said they're not firing anybody. They're going to move some people around, uh, I guess, to other news desks or whatever it might be. But that's pretty significant in the sports media world. And the L.A. Times, I don't know if the L.A. Times cut their sports media depart or uh, sports department or if they're just kind of restructuring how they cover sports. But, yeah, the, the New York Times, that's a, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. I mean, you know, they, they, they never covered sports the way, you know, the Post or the Daily News or Newsday or anything like that covered sports. They were more the big picture kind of macro, a lot of big articles, that kind of thing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, they, uh, I, I don't think there were many people that went to the New York Times for their sports coverage. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I thought their investigative reporting, like you yeah. said, more of the big level macro yeah. stuff was yeah. like you'd see a big report that come out be from the New York Times or, yeah. or whatever. But I mean, still to be the home of the Yankees, the Mets, the Giants, yep, the Jets, yep, everything, and and to not have the the hockey, all that, all the sports, the Knicks, not have any of that coverage, just true to New York, or have any beat writers or anything like that anymore. That's that's a that's a pretty monumental step. It is. You're right. But that's the way a lot of those local papers, so to speak, are sort of drifting. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's a tough business to be in, man. Tough business to be in. There's no doubt about it. Um, all right. I want everybody's opinion on this Corey Dillon thing. Um, golly, Dave, I, I, I just, I still can't. I went back and reread it again over the weekend. I, I, I still can't believe and, and you know what? I admire the guy. I have to say this. Um, and it's not to say he didn't have his issues, because um, he did. And, and each and every one of us does. You know, you can sit there and poke holes in everybody else's issues, but, you know, before you do that, you might want to look in the mirror. Okay? And that's for all of us. All right? But he certainly had his ups and downs off the field. Some things happened, this was dropped, that was dropped, whatever it might be, what he did, didn't do, I don't know. Okay? I, I read it just like you do. Um, but on the field, and you heard Paul Doherty comment about this last week. On the field, in Paul Doherty's estimation, during his time covering the Bengals, which was a solid 30-year run, 
He went to virtually every game. He said, without a doubt, the best Bengals running back that he ever saw. Ran angry. Hard-nosed, tough player, man. If he'd have played on some good teams, he'd have been celebrated like the Emmett Smiths of the world. I'm not saying he would have rushed for as many touchdowns uh, or as rushed for as many yards as Emmett Smith, but he would have been recognized as one of the great running backs of his generation had he played on a team that could win even three or four or five games in a year, which they rarely did when Dylan was here. I mean, they were terrible. That was a loss two decades for the Bengals. Uh, I still maintain that James Brooks is the best Bengals running back of all time, but that's just for me. My opinion's not better or worse than anybody else. Based on everything you know, Casey, Corey Dillon belong in the Bengals ring of honor. Yay or nay? Tom, I would have said that he deserved to be in the Hall of Fame a couple weeks ago. I'm not so sure. Anymore. Wait, are we talking about Hall of Fame or Ring of Honor? Oh, ring of, ring okay, of Honor. Okay, Ring of, of Honor. Okay. Would have been a sure thing a couple weeks ago. Eventually, right? I'm not so sure anymore. I mean, it just comes off very, uh, very selfish to be bringing down other other players that are also getting votes for the uh, Ring of Honor, um, other notable Bengals. Um, I mean, he was MFing like Dan uh, Kitna, and he, he was uh, MFing a couple other guys. Can't remember off the top of my head, but I mean, he just – he has all the stats. He's got all the awards that you would possibly – he had a uh, – I, I, I mean, awards. He won a Super Bowl ring. I mean, yep, with the, New dude, England. the dude is yep. the, one of the best running backs, period in the NFL history from, from his time period, just looking at the stats. Yep. He was going to get it eventually. Why? He just doesn't understand the premise of the Ring of Honor, how it works, why it's so important to get other players that are older in first because they don't have a whole lot of time to be that, to, to you know, see that award. So I don't know. I'm, I'm not a fan of him blowing up like he did. Um, it's going to be a really tough spot for uh, the Bengals ownership to look at him and say, you know, you don't deserve to be in it because of your, uh, you know, because of how the way you acted, uh, the way that you exited us was not um, the way that you talk about us is just not what we want in our ring of honor. So that's my, okay. My All overall right. thoughts on Paul? it. It just feels real tired to me, Tom. I, I, I'll be honest. I, I looked into it. I saw the headline. I kind of like either clicked on the article or kind of expanded the details, you know, on Twitter. And I was just so over it immediately. I just find no interest in people complaining like this over something like this where you're – it's just supposed to be something good for the fans and for the team and for the collective, maybe the city, to celebrate something good. And you just go out there and you do something like this. I don't, I don't care enough to want to hear about it. If you got those thoughts, all right, I guess that's your avenue to share it. I guess that's how you want to use that platform to go out there and make your point. If you want to make the statement, all right, fine. But I don't care about it. I don't want to hear about it. Okay. So can, all right. can I add one more thing, too? Yo. He's not doing himself any favors by doing this. No one's going to vote for the guy now. Like, you're not, you're not improving your chances 
to, to get in by acting like this. You're only hurting yourself. So, to I don't his, know. To his credit, the Bengals organization wasn't exactly great up until the last several years. I, I, the way the Bengals have treated players, the way they've run practices, they've had guys paying for their own water, stuff like that. It's, the Bengals franchise has not been the, the, the pinnacle of what a, what a good franchise should, should be for a long time. It, it was just bad, right? That's to his credit. Now, I don't know who he want, who does he want to go in over? Ken Anderson, Willie Anderson? Who does who does he want? Who does he think he deserves to be in over? I don't think I. The one thing I did get out of the article to 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 address what you're saying is that I did get out of the article was as selfish as he may have come across about this whole thing. Uh, he did not in any form or fashion disparage those that are already in or uh, other players on the ballot. I mean, he he made it a point. He said, "Look, you know." Chad Ochocinco absolutely deserves to be in there. Boomer absolutely deserves to be in there. You know, he only named a couple. Yeah. And, 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 I, and I, you know, maybe that, those were guys that he just knew were up off the top of his head. I don't know. But he wasn't saying anything disparaging about guys that are already in. So I didn't mean to interrupt. Okay, Please no, 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 but no, but that's good. I, I, and I think he said in the article it's not against fans or anything. It's just against the, the, the front office, uh, Mike Brown probably. So I – I like, but to Casey's credit, now I'm probably not going to vote for him. So I don't know what his point was with this. It's not going to go well for him. Uh, but like Carson Palmer, some guys just were rubbed the wrong way by this front office. Yeah, I mean, I, I have very similar thoughts to the rest of them. I, Corey Dillon numbers belong in any Ring of Honor you can think no about. No doubt about Bengals it. organization. That's not what this is. The, 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 fr the franchise laid that out when they started the Ring of Honor. The Ring of Honor is not the best players to play for the Bengals. It's the best ambassadors to the franchise. And Corey Dillon certainly was not that. So I, I think he's years out of having a fair gripe. I mean, the guys that got in are, are two Hall of Famers. The guy that started the organization, Willie Anderson, who certainly should be there. Isaac Curtis revolutionized the wide receiver position. And Ken Anderson went, went to a Super Bowl. And should be an all of Right. You're putting two guys in a year. If he wants to have a gripe with the system, fine, I guess. But that's the system. And that's the way they laid it out. And that's the way they're doing it. I can't find someone I'd rather have him in over of the people that are already in. And of the people that are around, he didn't get my vote this year. I mean, kind of like Casey said, the, I feel like the older players that are deserving need to get in first. So they have a chance to enjoy it while they're around. I mean, we're doing all this stuff to recognize Ken Riley. It's a couple of years too late. Like, how much, how great would it be to have Ken Riley down there on the field for his Ring of Honor? Ken Riley there for his enshrinement into into um, Canton. Like, that's the stuff you're missing out if you're putting guys like Corey Dillon, who, granted, have the numbers. You're putting them over guys, you know, Bob Trumpy. We were just talking about. That's the best tight end in Bengals history. Guys like that need to get in while they're still here and can and can you know recognize that accomplishment which is why i think that that at least for these first couple of years uh, maybe after the first year after that first year which has to be an extremely special over the top class right first year you had isaac anthony and who uh, i believe paul brown paul brown for sure right okay you know uh Kenny was in that first class too, wasn't he? I believe so. Okay, well, the point I'm making is however many it is, okay, is that because you're playing catch-up, I think that once you got to the second year, the third year, you should be putting in more than three in a year. I think, you know, I, and, and I think this was one, you know, th this is something he kind of alluded to a little bit. 
is that why not go ahead and put five or six in and then five or six in? So you cover the old guys, but you're also covering the guys that we all know should be in there, right? All know should be in. I mean, Ocho Cinco, and maybe he'll go in this year. I don't know. Um, Boomer Esiason, Chris Collinsworth, you know, Max Montoya, uh, Dave Lapham, I think we all agree, has a very good shot this year. Um, you know, even, even uh, you know, guys like, I mean, God rest their souls in, 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 in Sam Weish and Forrest Craig and all that kind of thing. Uh, but, you know, it's, 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 it's tricky business here because in the, you know, in the mission statement as it's laid out, you, you pointed it out, Jacob, it, it, you know, they're not saying stats. But I think anybody who watched Corey Dillon play, this guy left it all out there, man. I mean, he was all they had. You alluded to Kitna, and there was Scott Mitchell, and there were all these other guys where opposing defenses, I mean, the, the thing that boggles my mind is, is the Bengals can't get a running back to do anywhere close to what Corey Dillon did in a day and age where they have Joe Burrow and T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd and Jamar Chase and all these weapons where defenses have to prepare for each and every one of them, right? Back in those days, the only thing defenses had to worry about when they played the Bengals was Corey Dillon. Right. And the guy still ran every single year for 13, 1,400 yards. He broke the all-time rookie single-game rushing record that was held by Jim Brown. 257 yards or something like that in a game. So... I mean, this guy laid it out there, man, on terrible teams and frustrated. You know, right now there's this kumbaya love fest between the town and the Bengals. And a lot of that is for people that are your guys' age. I can't tell you how many people that are my age and a little bit older that had Bengal season tickets. And after about two decades of watching that mess down there, they said, I'll never go to another Bengals game again because of ownership. I mean, think of the Castellinis and everything that's happened with them just in the last handful of years. This was the Bengals over 25 years. And Corey Dillon just happened to be playing right smack dab in the middle of that mess when you had Dave Shula and all these guys winning two games a year. And getting your brains beat in every single week. Well, now all of a sudden, everybody loves the Bengals. And Corey Dillon has not forgotten what it used to be like to play for the Bengals. When they were the laughing stock of the NFL. So, I think there's, you know, there's got to be some middle ground here in all this. And it will be interesting to see. I personally don't like the way they're conducting the voting for this, I am in agreement with Dylan on this. Because, and it's nothing against Jay, but a season ticket holder, you get the vote, right? Right. Okay, well, you never saw Corey Dillon play. That's correct. Right? And, and look, I don't know how many people saw Bob Trumpy play. I mean, you've got to be older than me to remember watching, really watching, remember watching Bob Trumpy play. You really do. Um, so, you know, you can't, you can't go out and find a bunch of 75-year-olds to be voting for this. But there, there, there should be some kind of balance, I think, um, 
about who's doing the voting. I love fans voting. A lot of people didn't like it for the baseball all-star game. I love it. It's their game. They see who they want to see. I'm all for it. But fans in baseball balloting for the all-star game could range from five years old to 105 years old. Yep. Right? Um, so, anyway, that's that. Now, Tom, the one thing I would say to that is maybe I don't remember Corey Dillon playing. I certainly remember him throwing his pads and his helmet. Uh, his you're right. And that you're has every right. bit to do with voting for the Ring of Honor as you're a right. playing. You're spot on. And it's not like he's not in the top 13 players of the Bengals franchise. He's a nominee. Yep. Like he's taking shots at John Kitna saying, oh, they're going to put John Kitna in over me. Well, obviously not because you're one of the 13 nominees and he's not. So it's not like they're completely disregarding what he did for this franchise. He's being recognized as a fundamental part of, you know, great Bengals teams of the past. Not great Bengals teams of the past, but great a great player, player right. of the Bengals' past. And I don't know. I, if you want to have a gripe with how the system is, is currently set up, that's fine. I don't think Corey Dillon has a gripe about not being in. Okay. Um, anything else before we get to – do we have a cherry on top? We do. We do. All right, it's presented by United Dairy Farmers. Here we go. This is not sports-related at all. It's just cool. I don't know if you saw this picture, Tom. This took uh, years, three years, to line this picture up. Really? This is the statue. This is down in Rio in Brazil. Yeah, yeah, the guy that took... The concrete Christ. Yeah, the the, uh, Christ the Redeemer. Yep. Yep. And this is a picture that took three years of studying, uh, I guess, you know, whatever the, the pattern of the moon and the curvature of the earth, that, or the rotation of the earth, not the curvature, the rotation and everything else. Just thought it was a great that picture. That is very cool. That's pretty cool. Three years just to get that picture. That is beautiful. Beautiful. See, we're all about love and peace and hope. Here on off the bench. That's right. Right? That's right. All right. Anything, fellas, on your mind? Is there a uh, box lunch today? Reed said there was a box lunch today. Uh, so if Reed is listening to the show right now, Reed can uh, tell us if there is a box <laughs> lunch. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to get one. I don't know. He, he said, is it a no shtick Monday or is it a shtick Monday? No, it's no shtick Wednesday. Shtick Mondays are, right, in, shticks full are in full swing. All right. All right. So I don't. Okay, Reed, Reed says, says yes. Reed says there is a box lunch. So uh, well, we'll that's starting in three minutes. Is we, he coming in here, or how does that work? Box, well, when you were, uh, yeah, because uh, you need chairs. me to get off my tail to get it going. <laughs> yeah, right? Not enough chairs anymore. A lot of people uh, in the chat today uh, have been suggesting Danny Graves. I just reached out to him about coming on the program. This is the Reds Hall of Fame weekend. This weekend, it's a big deal. It is. Watson Arroyo's going on. Uh, Danny Graves, the Reds' all-time saves leader, uh, is going in. Um, and um, looking forward to, to trying to get Danny Graves on here. He is such a great guy. Uh, he really is. Uh, he, he, he filled in and did some games on the radio uh, there for a couple of years uh, with the Reds. And, and, and I had never really been around Danny Graves because I wasn't working here uh, by the time that his career really took off. Um, and wasn't around by the time his career was over. I wouldn't even uh, move back into town yet. But, I mean, what an awesome guy. And um, hopefully we can get him on um, before the weekend comes around. That would be fun. We're going to have Dennis Jansen on Wednesday, the legendary DJ, longest running 
sports anchor in this town forever, one of the greatest storytellers that has ever lived. I mean, this is a guy that covered the, you know, he was hanging out with the Roses and the Benches and the Morgans and all those guys back in his 70s. Uh, and he came all the way up through until retiring uh, a number of years ago, but is still really dialed into the whole Cincinnati sports scene. We'll walk down memory lane with him. He would be able to talk about Corey Dillon at length uh, and his thoughts on that whole thing, among many, many, many other topics. Tomorrow we have Tracy Jones coming on the program, talk about the Home Run Derby, which is later tonight, All-Star Game tomorrow night. So a lot going on. Uh, the Reds enjoy three days off after the weekend in Milwaukee, sitting atop the National League's Central Division at the All-Star break. But right now, there are more important things in this world, and that would begin with boxed lunch. Gentlemen, take it away. Here we go.